Hello, and welcome back to the Hack Attack Podcast. As always, I'm your host, a displeased monkey with a hand drill, Jay. Joined as always is my co-host, a nervous giraffe on a flight to Burbank, Z. How are we doing today, Z? Pretty good, Jack. How are you doing? I'm doing just fine, just fine. All right, let's just, let's just jump so right into this it, week. Jack. We saw yeah. the last duel this week. Ridley Scott's yeah. newest film, starring Matt Damon, Ben Affleck, and Adam Driver, and and the the I don't know the actress's name, Jodie Comer. What's her name? All right, very nice. This is, this is a pretty. Uh, I feel like this you know, more, pretty heavy movie. Well, definitely, I was gonna say more heavy, sort of just a bit more mature. More, maybe yeah, that's probably a good word for it. A bit more more mature, a little more artsy than most of the stuff we talk about on here, isn't it? Yeah, the Green Knight would be the closest one. Even that's not really that movie was that well, close. That movie was a little dumb. Was, yeah, I don't think that was nearly as good as this. No, I would agree. So, figured before we get into the super heavy stuff, just talk a little more lightly about some of the. Some of the less intense aspects of it, right? Right. So I thought the cast was great. The acting was, was uh, real good all around. But I mean, I think that... Oh, uh, yeah. To be expected, no? There's some heavy hitters here. Oh, yeah. I mean, you got Adam Driver. He's probably one of the biggest actors of the last 10 years, I'd say. He's had I a lot of totally big-name roles. Absolutely. He's, a, he's, he's really getting after it nowadays. And then, obviously, Ben Affleck and Matt Damon. Very much established. A little, little Tried and nowadays, true. But, yeah. I think you uh, got exactly what you'd expect, probably. Oh, yeah. Um, and then I can't say that I've ever seen, uh, Jodie Comer in anything. Um, but she was great for sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, let's see what we got for her here. This must be, this might be one of her bigger kind of roles. It seems she's been a lot of BBC stuff. She was in Free Guy, actually, which I have not seen yet. Oh, but I haven't seen it either. So there you go. Yeah, she was also great. Ridley Scott's always sick, right? Oh, yeah. Big fan of that guy, you know? Alien. I was gonna say everything from Alien. Obviously, like did that one down. What's that one God movie you like? Kingdom of Heaven. I like. Kingdom yeah, I like Kingdom of Heaven a lot as well. Never seen his Robin Hood. I think that one is kind of iffy. I haven't seen a ton of Ridley Scott myself, but oh, Blade Runner, of course. Shit. Oh yeah, I've seen Blade Runner. I'm not a huge Blade Runner guy. And then his new his new Alien stuff. Ooh, but uh, The Martian's good. That's a very. Oh, good he the, oh, he did The Martian as well. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Did he do Blade Runner twenty forty nine? Is that somebody else? He did not do that. Blade Runner for twenty forty nine was, um, I believe, the guy who's doing Dune, uh, Denny Villanueva, or whatever how you mm. say, it. right? Right. No, yeah, yeah. Sounds, that, that sounds right. Movie. Yeah. So yeah, I would say the direction was pretty good in this. For what that's worth, sometimes it's hard to really tell. I'm um, never. I I never can tell. Like. Yeah. I'm not a. I'm not well versed enough to be like that was a good directing, even acting. Right. I only can really tell, be like, well, that was bad acting because, like, say, right? it's Very really bad. And that's good acting because it's really good. But anything in the middle, I'm like, you yeah. could tell me anything, and I'd be like, well, probably. I, sure. I, I would tend to agree. Very few directors, I feel like, have a distinct enough style where you really are like, ah, that was them. And it was, this movie was good because of the directing, mm. which feels kind of shitty to say. But I think, I think you're right. I think there's a lot of stuff that goes into movies that is like that, right? Yeah. Like, I feel like people say that a lot about a score. Most movie scores are pretty good, but you don't really talk about them unless they're really bad. <laughs> like, yeah. Or unless, unless it's like John Williams. Sure. Unless it's doing yeah, exactly something absolutely like epic. But most of the time, it's just kind of like, eh, it is what it is. Yeah, it's um, good enough. I don't know. Ridley Scott's usually make good movies. So I feel like he probably made this one good too. Like, mm-hmm. I would say, like, I, again, I don't know how much he has a hand in this, but like the fighting. Is quite quite good, I would say. Oh yeah, we we talked about this off pod how like 
there's been a, a little bit of a shift in like the portrayal of like medieval combat from like the more like romanticized mm-hmm. um, it's like smacking with a sword honor nobody really gets dirty to like this like in this movie like when they're fighting they're like covered in dirt and blood and grime like they're yeah. brutalizing each other fighting for every inch there's only a couple like actual sort of battle scenes but they are pretty uh pretty pretty full on oh yeah and like i I compared it to that movie that netflix movie the king and also the netflix movie outlaw king which are both also like medieval epic sort of movies and it's a similar kind of thing where it's like yeah it's it's and i think it i mean i'm not a uh i'm not a a hema practitioner by any means but what i understand i think it's a little more accurate to what medieval combat was like Mm mm-hmm this idea of, especially in full armor, if you got to the ground, it was just hard to get up. Now, it's not as crazy. I think, like, portrayals can go kind of either way, where I think sometimes they do overdo how heavy and, like, bulky armor is because, you know, it wasn't actually that restrictive and use, you know, it didn't turn you absolutely, like, useless. Otherwise, they wouldn't have used it, right? Right. Um, but it definitely did hinder that. And I know, like, if you got flat on your back, it was it really was hard to get up because your you know your range of motion was restricted, and you were wearing pretty heavy armor. Mm, so it's full plate and mail and stuff. Yeah, something I liked. Again, there's only like a you know probably like five overall minutes in this whole movie are like battle scenes, but still, they they did a lot of half handing of their swords, which is when you grab the sword by the by the blade. Um, to you kind of get leverage and stuff, which is cool because that's definitely a like, again, a, a historically accurate sort of tactic that a lot of movies didn't used to ever show. So that was cool. Even in the in the final duel scene, they're doing that where like you, they're grabbing the sword towards the top of it. Even or there's a couple times where they're literally swinging the sword around the other way around, right? Like yeah, by the by sort Complete. of and is like hitting people with the uh, um the hilt. hilt stuff. Yeah. Or they're holding in the middle to like block an attack. Yeah, exactly. I think that that's what a really common thing. That's what people I feel like. Well, it's not really like talked about a lot. Is that like how if you're wearing full armor, if like you're if you're fighting a guy in full armor and you're also in full armor, like a sword is just kind of like a club, like just a hunk of metal you're hitting each other with until you're like, well, I'm kind of done hitting you with it. Let's not fight anymore. Like unless you get caught off guard and. You, gets you through the neck it's not really gonna hurt you that's why you can hold it because they got all that metal around their hands to just grab and use it kind of just like a club essentially and i think they do a good job of showing that there's they take a lot of hits on the armor and it doesn't really phase them because yeah a sword can't it's not, well, it's can't not break armor and yeah the best you could hope for like it wasn't fully like impenetrable of course like axes and and maces and stuff like like blunt weapons were effective against it and i think if you could do it right, I think you could potentially pierce plate with like a, the tip of a sword. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you're doing like swings, like trying to cut through it, that obviously doesn't work. And they they show that a lot. We're like, they're definitely phased, and I'm sure it hurts and all, of course, but it's not enough to knock them down. It's yeah, just, yeah. which is kind of neat. I think the other thing is like, I mean, we're getting a little, we'll get a little specific here. But back in the day, I think the other thing was that not all armor was made equal. Mm-hmm. Like, whether you were like an actual like landed nobleman or like just kind of like a poor knight or a squire or whatever there's kind of tears to it so i don't think everyone had like the best quality of stuff too and it probably right. applied to swords and stuff as well like there's there's like some material science going on there but yeah i think they did a really good job of that in this movie and uh even the like the joust was pretty cool as well oh yeah i've never 
Never participated in a joust, so I'm no expert. But I don't think people have it. From what I've seen of those dudes' YouTube videos, where guys like do it, this is the thing people still do sometimes. I I I certainly and uh, from what I've seen in Game of Thrones. Right. Yeah, I know. I just know mostly from just like medieval shows and stuff. I did like how through the the jousting sort of part of the initial duel there, each time they seemed like more phased after each blow. Oh yeah, they were really like. Those hits really stunned them. I mean, First they almost—they each almost fell off their horse. They like—they yeah, were like yeah. knocked all the way on their back on their horse, and they had to yeah. recover. Like the first couple, they were just kind of like shaking it off and like ready to get back. But then they—they were quite phased by the last, I think, run up. Where, like you said, like Matt Damon's like literally all the way flat on the back of his horse. I like the uh, little squires running around, handing yeah. weapons and lances, like uh, like ball boys. All right. Um, I think. Did you have any light stuff? I don't. I uh, mean, we wanted to just sort of uh, preface this, which we're we're not like we're not filming, are we? we never, no, not so really. We're gonna do our best to discuss this on a because again, this is a more uh, it's not a goofy comic book movie that we're like, oh, what's gonna happen next? It's like a so I don't know if we're gonna do it very well, but we're gonna do our best here. Try our best. So, like, obviously, the sort of driving point behind this movie. Is obviously the rape of Marguerite, right? Yeah, the Lady Marguerite. So let's okay. Let's try to use their names here. So there's there's Jacques is Adam Driver's character. Yeah, Adam Driver and John. And, yeah, and Matt Damon is, John. is Matt Damon's character. So, like, that's obviously the the driving force behind it all, right? And this is I, I did a little bit of reading as to how historically accurate it was, um, because this is a real historical event, and the movie itself is based off of a. I think you would consider it a nonfiction book. Um, mm. I don't know if they consider it fully nonfiction or not, but it was written by an English professor, mm. 2004. And so it's a this is a true story. Like this is the last judicial duel that was ever fought in France, which is kind of crazy. I didn't realize that was like a real thing. The fight to the death to have God and, decide. Because this is literally like straight out of you know that season of Game of Thrones, right? The whole mm. kind of thing of like whoever wins the fight clearly god was on their side and that makes them right which is like obviously kind of a some some crazy reverse logic right yeah especially since uh you can choose your champion you don't have to fight on your own so you could just pick a guy who's gonna win yeah they obviously don't do that in this one so i don't know if that was like i don't know i wonder if they did do that in history or not yeah they're just like well you can just choose a champion if you can't fight but so one of the historical changes actually that they made this book that I for for the movie, which I actually thought was kind of interesting, um, because you would almost think that it like goes against sort of like the the point of this movie is that in the historical record and in the book, the like uh, the rape itself was actually like much more brutal. And oh Jesus! She was actually like physically beaten, and and she had like you know physical signs of it and all, mm-hmm. which they did not go that route in this movie even they sh- they showed a little bit though they show she has bruises after it but they don't reference them again like they never she never shows anybody and uh even in jacques version of it right which because uh you know the whole point of this movie is that it's like portrayed in three different sort of quote-unquote point of views which that's another thing i think was really interesting done about this and i guess that is also probably you could chalk up to direction to an extent it's just like the minor differences from version to version sometimes yeah in ways that didn't really even seem all that significant was was cool for me to see i think yeah. but so even in Jacques' version of it which is obviously 
would look more favorable upon him. Um, there's, or I guess I should say, even in Marguerite's version, which would be less favorable to Jacques, right? Mm. There isn't like really much of that. Like, it's still obviously a very like, you know, brutal and uncomfortable thing to watch. Yeah, um, it doesn't. It doesn't vary as much between his version and her version. No, there's small differences, but it's not like. Like a step ahead, I guess, would be the way you'd say. I don't really know how to get across what we're trying to say here, but they don't they don't like they don't up the ante every time. Like they don't go, Well, here's Jacques and he did it and he sees it this way, but Marguerite, this is how it really happened, and this is there it is more it is more intense, but yeah, I believe sure. that's because it is from her perspective and you get the the they he makes different choices directorially to portray how the scene is supposed to act because you're focused on a different person. So that may also play into it. And the other sort of big thing is that, um, interestingly enough, in the trial and like the court documents and the testimony from the the real event, uh, Legris's accomplice, his like companion there, his weird square guy, his weird square guy, whose name was Adam Laval, he actually was like physically involved and like held her down. Which oh Jesus! Is also not in the. In the movie, he just leaves. He disappears. Yeah. It's interesting, and I was reading... So, Ben Affleck and Matt Damon actually were also the writers of this, and uh, also Nicole Holofcener. Um, but anyways, so I was reading one of these articles. Ben Affleck was talking about why some of these decisions were made. And um, first and foremost, as far as like it, the decision was made based off of how much people would be even willing to watch. Yeah. Like you said, it was already like very uncomfortable to watch it. Like it, you essentially have to watch it twice. Exactly. Like when it when it was obviously coming up, and like you realized you had to watch it twice. I was I was not not even in the slightest looking forward to that. Yeah, my buddy who I saw it with literally actually took that opportunity to use the bathroom so he didn't have to watch it again because it was pretty rough. Yeah. So I think they were like, if we actually doubled down on that and and made it accurate it would be even harder to watch and like might not even be it might it might, it might get like an n17 rating yeah, like it would have just been brutal and so the other thing though that he said is it actually was an intentional choice not to sort of make um make shock more sympathetic although i think that's kind of, sort of basically his his argument was that like they thought it would be somewhat more interesting to the story if he was at least some like somewhat believable from his own point of view, right? Right. Not that he was right, of course, or innocent or anything, but it works better if he like plausibly can even believe his own point of view, which is essentially not like his his whole argument in this movie is essentially one of semantics. Mm-hmm. Like it's not that he's arguing that the event didn't happen. It's more like the the context in which it occurred. Yeah. So. Matt Damon says it was quote it was the case about one very evil man doing some something everybody recognized was evil rather than this idea of somebody through the lens of their own experience and acculturation not understanding their behavior not understanding the effect they were having on someone else which to us was more interesting and to us ultimately made it more about an examination of an entire system that was assaulting this woman from the moment she was born so like clearly even in you know the the time period where this movie took place when you bring in the fact that she was like obviously like physically beaten and held down the 
I think the argument gets even less sort of like <laughs> plausible than it is already, right? Right, yeah. Like even even as it's portrayed in the movie, it's pretty crazy that you know and I, obviously this is the point of the movie, but it's kind of crazy that it's they give her as hard a time as they do. And then if you add in she was held down by someone else and yeah. got beaten. It's like, well, how you're almost trying, you're almost like doing it on purpose. Yeah. So at that point, it becomes impossible to even believe that Jocks believes that in his own mind, right? Mm-hmm. Because it seems like, obviously, and I think this is evidenced by his final lines, like he, the whole time he believes what he's saying. Yeah. And that, that does ultimately make him more interesting of a character i suppose right that's that's what i always say right like the best villain doesn't think he's the villain like he believes what he is doing is like he's 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 in the right in his mind which makes it more compelling so this is the other thing this is the uh hall officer or however her name is said um she says in the book legris does say he was in love with her so that's accurate um, that's the research we did and the legend of the story. He thought he was in love with her and did not rape her. And yet he raped her so brutally in history, in the truth, so badly there would be no doubt. He had a witness. She probably had strangle marks. I came in after Matt and Ben decided to do it this way, but they wanted to make it a little more gray. So in his deluded sense of pride, Legree could believe it was consensual and clearly it wasn't. Mm-hmm. So yeah, clearly what they want to do is like not not so much emphasize. I think not so much emphasize that like not even that the system is bad, but that like it's just the system is so bad that it's just even this person who believes that he is honorable is like no, it's fine because I'm honorable. So how could I do anything wrong? It's it's this this and this. It's like well no, very clearly it's not like you don't. It's not even there's no ifs ands or buts. It's just a horrible thing. And the other thing, um, so like we said, his last line is that. He still believes it didn't happen. Again, it's really already even semantics, right? He's not saying it didn't happen, but he's saying it wasn't rape, essentially. Yeah, the the nature of the event was different than what everybody claims it is. What they what Marguerite claims. Yeah, and he says like on his what does he say like on on threat of damnation or whatever. Like he's willing to bet his soul on it, basically. Which obviously to them at this point was like a very important thing, as religion mm-hmm. were right. Which I thought that was like weird in that like it, it makes you wonder what is going on in his head at that point because yeah. you can't both believe that this trial is real and you know whoever wins is innocent because god decided that and then also believe that you're still right as you lay dying is <laughs> is trial so i don't is you're about to be like very as you're very clearly like on the back foot and are about to be killed by this knife or yeah. whatever it was in his hand it wasn't quite a knife but uh, yeah. Yeah, a dagger of some kind. Well, so like, a- it's interesting, and that's that's a real quote from the record, like historical record. That as as it ended, that's what he said to like for for. Oh, all Jesus! It was that he still believed he was innocent. And Matt, Day, just one more quote here, real quick. Um, ben Affleck says, "Does he truly believe his innocence at the end?" They took that idea of damnation seriously. They were very religious. That was the root of everything, and that's one of the things we didn't focus on as much. They truly believed God would make happen whatever was the fair thing to happen so it would be god's will and for him to invoke that at the moment of his death and to protest his innocence is interesting this man who has done something horrible and doesn't understand it he doesn't even recognize it that resonates are we seeing how others experience things so like i think one of the things they're going for in this movie is even though obviously marguerite is the victim right like just Mm -hmm. through and through and obviously like what uh 
the grease and even Jean did this movie, right? It's not great. And like we talked about this when we after we saw it. Neither of them are very heroic in this movie, are they? Like No, they're they're both sh- kind of shitty. Ultimately, well, and I mean, I mean, Jacques is shitty and yeah. Jean is not much better than he is. And I think we said this. I, I said some of those like kind of jokingly, but it's kind of true. Like ultimately the 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 overall sort of like villain in, in this movie is the society that they're living in, right? Like mm-hmm. it's the way that everything's constructed to really just keep women down, essentially. Or ultimately like noble women. Yeah. Because I was I reading like some interesting stuff after this that I mean, I'm sure it was it's obviously still not like as enlightened as we are now by any means, but life for uh peasant women back then was actually on some ways like preferable because because like there wasn't money and land and, and stuff involved and titles and power and all yeah, that involved in your weddings and whatnot you just got to you, you ultimately did just get to choose who you were married to right mm-hmm. like i think because you know all the famous people from this time were nobles and all the you know all the stories and stuff are centered around them you get this idea of like ah back then you know they didn't get to choose or anything and, and every every woman got married off at 14 when in reality like peasant people got married closer to what we consider like normal age like in their 20s often yeah and they got to pick because who cared right it's you're all going to be you're all serving the feudal lord that holds the castle you go to when barbarians strike like it doesn't super matter your dad's a baker and his dad's a farmer like it's not gonna matter when you get married no one's no one's trading any lands or anything yeah not even a dowry involved so oh that's kind of interesting and and it also um reflected in noble women were even more likely to die in childbirth like obviously we know that back then just in general that was a thing we struggled with but noble women in particular because they got married when they were still teenagers and were expected very quickly to have children Obviously, yeah. like teenage pregnancies are much more high risk. So yeah, their bodies just weren't ready for that. They weren't fully developed enough to handle. Like pretty messed up. Yeah, and so like like you're saying, even John is not that great. Like, there's obviously like the instances of marital rape in this, and the sort of idea that like ultimately the crime was not even against Marguerite. It was against John. John. His is like a house in his name. Yeah. They literally say it's it was a property crime against his wife because ultimately his wife is like his property, which is obviously. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, so what I was saying is, even though obviously she is just a victim and like no one else is really great, I think they were at least somewhat trying to like present the uh, a message of like you can't totally ignore other people's perspectives, right? Right make them innocent by any means but it's just kind of like a you know there's two sides of every story sort of thing and it's just get, something to think about i guess if nothing else just understanding the full context not that it, like you said not that it, like knowing jacques perspective makes him innocent it just makes you understand like why he would even think that would be okay mm-hmm. well because if you, did, if, you, if you just do marguerite and ja and john it's like well we you, we don't really know what Jacques is thinking at any given time or how he like is feeling or how he acts when he's not around these two other characters so we don't super understand the entire scope of like the magnitude of this well and when it's the the chapters are broken up right it's the truth according to um John John, John Decour or whatever his name is 
uh, Jean de Carug, and then it's the truth according to Jacques Legree, and then it's the truth according to uh, Lady Marguerite. And when and they then... do that one, right, as it fades away, um, the truth is like lingers for a second, implying that hers is the more it's the most like, accurate representation. Yeah. Because, and it's kind of pointed out in this movie, she, because of the world she's living in, she ultimately has, like, nothing to gain by any of this, mm-hmm. right? Because of the the situation where if, however you'd say it, if her husband is killed, then he's found guilty, I guess, and that means that she was lying all along, and so she'll also be put to death. And if she wins, ultimately she gains nothing except, I guess the guy who raped her is dead, but like, as she kind of talks about by the end of it, she, it's it's pointless to her, right? When she has a kid and everything, like, you know, living is more important than, like, revenge or whatever you'd call it. Yeah, getting back, getting even. And so, I think even in history, at least nowadays, like, part of part of this, you know, story as like a historical event, is that Throughout history, it's been kind of like oppressed and, and not really talked about or kind of altered because, uh, you know, people used to be real shitty to women. I mean, mm. it's not perfect, obviously, but throughout Even history, it, it's not see, a very good story if you're trying to prop up your patriarchy, is it? No, not at all. Like this time, the woman actually like stood up and was right and got, you know, sort of justice. But even then, it and I guess I, I don't know what the like sort of accepted truth is now as i was reading about it apparently all throughout history it's it's you know been a matter of debate and and it's still not sort of like i don't know if there is one true consensus as to who was right or what happened but it seems most people agree that she had nothing to gain and so she wouldn't have done this if it wasn't the truth right yeah even it's it's very interesting what um really scott decides to do because even within uh jacques chapter of the movie when he meets with that clergyman or a member of the court mm-hmm. uh he even said like the guy he's talking to he, who's on his side and wants to get him off it's like it's kind of weird that like she's still like does she her story has not changed even when people are like hey like if you go through with this bad things could happen if you're wrong and she still is very forward about this it's like are you sure you're not you're telling me everything like if there's something i should know i should know it and, he, and obviously that shows how deluded jock is he's like no like i'm innocent i'm she's doesn't know what she's talking about i'm right and she's wrong so like even within the confines of the movie people are like it's like they acknowledge that she has nothing to gain like she can't get anything from Jacques by accusing him of this crime mm-hmm. yeah exactly like it's it's crazy stuff man and like the court scene when the the sort of quote-unquote evidence they're bringing to bear is obviously like insane <laughs> Yeah, it's like it's just some kangaroo court shit um, but then like unfortunately I, and I don't think we haven't really mentioned it yet but like obviously this movie I think the reason he decided to make it probably now is that it's you know sort of like relevant and I've seen reviews where basically say like uh, you know this is a, a medieval epic in the time of me too because that's kind of the themes that it's working off right mm-hmm. um, and I think that was intentional um, so I suppose it's a little like we're a little past the peak of that but you know this movie was supposed to come out last year. I think it was supposed to come out, like, uh, reading right here, the ad- adaptation was announced in 2015. So I think it is, like, a, you know, a timely sort of thing, right? Like, yeah, they were like, let's before. make this movie, and, you know, movies take a minute to come out, so you can't just predict how long a, 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 a something will grip a, the zeitgeist of a, of a particular area, so. 
And on, you know, some of the stuff that they say is just so far-fetched, like, it's not really broad. Like, they're weird ideas of what it takes to get pregnant and stuff. It's mm-hmm. just so out there that obviously no one says that. But unfortunately, some of the stuff that they do talk about is still kind of used in, in these types of situations. Like, like the pleasure thing where it's yeah. like, well, you liked it, so how could it be rape? It's like, that's not really how that works at all. Like, you took a minute to think about it. That's just a very fucked thing to say. Yeah, their whole weird circular logic about like, if she's pregnant, she must have liked it. Or, you know, because she hadn't been pregnant before, so she must not like to, like liked it with her husband, because that's how they think that works. Mm. And now that she's pregnant, it must have been that she liked him more, or just it's it's fucking insane shit. It's baffling how they were. Uh, they actually were like, "Yep, this is how it works." Like it's just so like far out from obviously what we know. It's like it's gotten to the point where it's like cartoonish. Yeah, like it's cartoonish stupidity and ignorance. We talked about it. Like, there's one line in particular that I think maybe I mean, it kind of feels like they almost were even going for like intentionally. Where the one guy he says it because he says it in almost like a comical voice, <laughs> where he's like, "Well, it's it's simple. A rape cannot result in pregnancy. That is science." <laughs> just <laughs> like, oh my god. Yeah, it's just it's absolutely ridiculous. It's like I said, looking at it through that sort of lens of like the Me Too sort of era. Again, this movie does not, I don't think, really do anything to again show that he's innocent at all. But no, I think it is just kind of like I said tone it down and sprinkle that in and like reading those quotes just now right i think they were kind of going for even in this day and age there is probably something to be said of like intent matters and other people's perspectives do factor in it doesn't make you innocent or not no it doesn't make it like less of a crime or it didn't neg- neg- negate the severity of a of an event it's just is another way that is another combination of factors leading to yeah. the same conclusion it's just something to remember sometimes, I think, for better or worse. Because obviously, due to the nature of this kind of stuff, it's impossible to pin down, right? Like, obviously, the nature of it's ultimately, you know, usually two people involved. And, you know, the one person is cute, the other person is something. And potentially, you know, both people have reasons to do it a certain way and all. Like, mm. it's obviously impossible most of the time to get objective, like, facts about these kind of things. Right. I do think, again, even though it's, I think the message of this is obviously ultimately very like pro woman and it's somewhat like happy in its resolution that she does get some measure of like justice. I do think also, again, they, they just had that sort of shred in there of like other perspectives are interesting or at least worth like considering. Yeah. If nothing else, to like figure out how to improve that, right? Like, again, it- the men in this are essentially just as much as the women, like products of their society, right? Yeah. Like that's why, again, even though to our modern perspective, um, John de Caruso is also like a terrible guy. If anything, through our modern lens, he would be guilty of pretty much the same crime that um, Jacques is. Jacques de Caruso. Jacques Legree is. Legria, thank it's you. the same thing, right? Like marital rape is is obviously a real thing that we actually like, you know, consider nowadays. Mm-hmm. And you can kind of argue that the only difference between these two characters is that one is operating 
within the like norms of his society, whereas the other one isn't even operating within those, right? Yeah, he's just he's kind of a, a wild card. He's just doing whatever he wants. He's like purely even, going off instinct. Even the people of his time recognized what he did as a crime, whereas that's not true of uh, Jean. So I don't know. Stuff it definitely, definitely makes you think, eh? It really does. It really like. Uh, also, I was I noticed there's there um how I was thinking I was thinking back to it now, and I remember when I was watching movie I made note of it about the very key differences that really Scott decides to focus on um while, when we do different chapters, and there's two that come to mind that I think sort of go along with um what we've been saying about how these men, these two men, Jean and Jacques, view society and how it kind of really was through the lens of Marguerite. And two of them is when, uh, the first thing I, I want to mention is when Jacques goes and is about to commit the heinous rape of Marguerite, and she begins to run backwards up the stairs from him, like she's frightened and runs away. In the in Jacques' chapter, when she, her, she's wearing shoes and she takes off her shoes, but the camera pans down and watches her place them very neatly next to each other at the bottom of the stairs and then begin to ascend the staircase backwards frantically. But in her chapter, she her shoe her shoes are kicked off again, but the camera shows that they tumble down the stairs and fall haphazardly away as she escapes. So to make it to make it and so what I believe what is very clearly trying to show is that Jacques sees it as she's like kind of playing hard to get like she's putting her shoes down yeah. carefully and then beginning like oh come on you know yeah ooh, again, come after me and then what she's like no i want to get away from you as fast as possible her shoes happen to come off because she's just trying to escape yeah ultimately that is again like the whole sort of basis of his argument mm -hmm. he literally says that when he's talking to uh ben affleck's character there's a moment where he's like, oh, well, yeah, she did, you know, she did say no and all, but that's just a standard kind of... I think he uses the customary rejection or something, yeah. or refusal. Like, and this is like a... I think there is some truth to that as like a vestige of that era, which was like, as a woman, you didn't really want to be seen to really like enjoy it. So you kind of had to pretend you didn't want it. And it was this weird sort of, I don't know, like back and forth that they did. Again, that's clearly not what happens even in the context of the movie in this one, but again, that's sort of his perspective. And like you said, I think the other thing is like she she kind of takes her shoes off neatly and then like slowly sort of backs up the stairs. Mm -hmm. Again, it's sort of like looking back like, oh, is he going to follow me or not? Where again, in hers, she literally is like running up the stairs. She's as frantic as possible. Trying her best not to like fall, and but also moving is like in his fast version, as her body will take him. Yeah, in his version, she's much slower and like oh, oh and it, it does almost seem like she's pretending to not not be into it, I guess. But mm -hmm. like oh, are you gonna come? Whereas again, in hers, she's literally sprinting up the stairs and like slams the door. It's there's yeah. yeah. Again, it's an interesting way he did that. That's a you know. That's where technique to use the movie sometimes. Yeah. And another uh, scene that I want to point out. It's not quite the same where it's t the same scene, but it's shown two different ways. It's the same like event, but two different parts of the event are shown. So in Jean's chapter, which is the first one that's shown, he it shows their marriage. And what Jean focuses on in that marriage is 
right before they get married when they discuss the land and then when in the church when they're like doing the ceremony to like make the man and wife marguerite they never show that scene the only part of her wedding that they show is the disagreement that jean and her father have when he loses that part of land that they agreed on in her dowry and he kind of like gets all angry mm-hmm. and then he's like oh no it's fine just take this and he's like you know what? whatever fine whatever i don't really care and they move on and that's the only part and then they do like when they get to their bed but they don't they don't show the parts that john shows which clearly means that he's focusing on different he's choosing to focus on different things because he's getting what he wants mm-hmm. in the end when like it seems like in John's chapter, there's there's a conversation before the wedding where he's like, yeah, that'll be included. Yeah. Whereas in her chapter, it seems like he kind of springs it and he's like, oh, well, I don't have that to give you. And then again, you know, it's a kind of a matter of like a perspective again. That's kind of like the, the running theme of the movie. But it seems to imply that in John's chapter, he's convinced, at least in his own head, that it was absolutely promised to him beforehand and then sort of taken from him. Mm, Whereas maybe but- the truth is more accurately that it really was never his to give. It's just he believed that he was entitled to it. Yeah. The other big one that stood out to me is when they sort of reconcile. And in John's chapter, it's him. You know, it's himself who says like, hey, we, we should, you know, let's let's work past this and, and be friends again or whatever. You know, the king needs us all. And, and there's no reason for, for two, you know, good noblemen to be squabble, squabbling or whatever. And right. then in Jack's chapter, it's the same thing, except he's saying those words. Like, it's the exact same words. It's just him who's saying it. And right. then in Marguerite's chapter, it's a third party. It's a, it's just that third guy. Neither of them are saying it. It's, it's someone else saying it, like, for them. Mm. It's kind of interesting. Because, again, it's, you know, it's sort of the whole, like, you're the hero of your own story sort of thing. Where, like, each time they remember. And, and the other thing is, like, in the beginning of each chapter, um, Jean remembers saving Jacques' life. And then Jacques remembers saving mm. his life. Like they right. kind of focus on, and it. I think the reality is that they both save each other's lives at different points of that battle. Right? It's just a matter of like yeah. who, which one they're focusing on, sort of thing. Interesting stuff. Like I said it's a definitely an interesting way to do it. And I also will say, I think, I think um, they did a good job of which scenes to like repeat and not. Right. Right. Yeah. Like, there's a couple of scenes that are shown all three times, and then there's like. A couple instances where the scene is shown again, but it's sort of cut short. It's only like a smaller part of it that shows you what you need to show that's different. And so mm-hmm. I think that was well done because I, you know, I can like envision a version of this movie where they essentially, you know, show the same scenes over and Seen over again. three times. It's again. kind of, yeah, where they didn't do that. So I think that was good. Yeah. Got anything to say? Uh, I, one thing I, I did notice uh, in the scene is when they're in the courtroom and during the battle the queen of france like shifts uncomfortably and is very like uncomfortable with the situation that she's in which i thought is a very like good like i, I assume very intentional mm-hmm. of ridley scott to and uh, matt damon and ben affleck and the, the woman whose name i i forget uh who also wrote this that she is also kind of moving around that shows that, like, well, this isn't just, like, Marguerite. And they do the same thing with his mother, Jean's mother. It's like, no, this is just their lives. Like, this is just how it is. And mm-hmm. there's really nothing, unfortunately, that they can do about it. Like, they're just kind of stuck even, in this situation. Even her friend. And I was reading that her, um, that character of her friend is a creation for the, the movie. I don't know mm. if that's really a historical figure or what. 
but yeah there's like this and again it kind of like you know uh scarily reflects real life is that like there's this attitude of hey that's just what happens like you're just supposed to not talk about it like we all know what happens you're just not supposed to bring it up yeah it's it's and it's it's just like like taboo it's like i can't believe you like it's it's brought up in a way that you just feel bad that you even brought it up like you just kind of victim blames which is unfortunately obviously still happens today which is like i can't believe you do this you bring something up like this like it's all it's kind of it's on you for yeah for having for for mentioning not that like not on the horrible people that do these things it's just Mm -hmm. like oh now we gotta talk about it now it's a thing or the horrible things people say about this yeah it's just the last quote here from this la times article um says for affleck and damon the last duel was an opportunity to not only depict a compelling historical event but to reflect on how trace of that system of patriarchy lingered today but by unequivocally believing margaret the screenwriters offer that same sense of empathy to all women who follow her and says um it is incumbent on all of us to be good people to overcome that and see more broadly and with empathy affleck says with the understanding that your truth may not be somebody else's truth there's a certain arrogance rooted in that assumption and that's ultimately why this version of the movie is more interesting to us than a movie where you prove well based on the evidence he did it and either you're a monstrous villain or you're wrongly accused mm-hmm. yeah. so yeah like i said earlier you know even in looking at it through like the sort of modern lens i think they did still kind of want to convey that like ultimately situations are like really difficult and sometimes again not that this movie itself is reflecting one such scenario but sometimes there can be a little bit of like nobody is really like an evil villain for doing something right mm. like unfortunately some of these cases can happen where neither party really believed they were doing wrong in the moment and it's sort of a matter of like figuring it out afterwards yeah we've been like well what you may have not thought it was wrong but like it just was like it's just like it was it's still kind of and again it's because of like the world they live in and i and to an extent the world we still live in it's a matter of like fixing it right mm-hmm. like you know moving past that as a again sort of <laughs> to be corny about it but as a society to like make it so people don't make those mistakes in the future again not that they are like you can't just say well i know i didn't really know as if that forgives it but right it's just ultimately about making so people don't do shit like this in the future in the name of you know a mistake Mm. like it's fortunate like you want to get to the point where if you do it there's there's no question that it's like you did it because you just were are like a bad person which obviously you don't want it's a weird thing to want but it's almost kind of where you got to get to where it's like yeah. no like if you do it you you uh, it's unequivocal that you knew it was wrong and you did it anyway because you wanted to and not like there's no gray area in your own mind about it exactly get to a point where it's unexcusable mm-hmm. like we all you know everyone knows what what the score is right everyone knows yeah. how you're supposed to act got anything else to say um that probably covers it for me mostly i would i would think so i that was very interesting how uh uh, Jacques, John, and uh, Ben Affleck's character all speak in different ways. Like um, Jean's character is very much speaks very more like in an old timey way, and Ben Affleck's character many times with him he kind of speaks like we speak currently. Like he says "fuck" a couple times. That was pretty funny. And he's very casual. And Jacques Adam Driver's character is in the middle of those two, where obviously he speaks about it's probably because he speaks to both those characters in like formal settings and like as friends 
they kind of speak in different ways. Like he speaks more like, I, I guess not romantically, but like more in a flowery way. Like, Oh, my friend, I come to you when benefits like, yeah, he's just fucking boring, man. I hate him. Like, why do you hang out with him? He sucks. His character is stupid. And he's like, ah, I like him. It's, it's fine. He, he saved my life. So it, it's just an interesting way. They write those characters. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree. Um, yeah. Hopefully we, uh, we tackled that elo- eloquently. Um, if we didn't, again, yeah. we apologize. We're not film people. We're not very yeah. qualified we're neither, to talk. We're neither proper film reviewers nor uh, any level Histor- of like historians, uh, psychologists. Like we're not anything. <laughs> make us anywhere near qualified. We're just two twenty-year-old white guys with our podcast. Not gonna lie, I got a little more. Uh, again, I I did still very much enjoy the movie, of course, but I think I got a little more than I. Uh, bargain for with that one. I didn't expect it to get so. I guess I I did know, of course, like the the plot and like what you know that it was a part of it. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, it definitely dealt with it. Obviously, more like head on than I necessarily expected. So, which is, I mean, it's almost what you kind of want sometimes. I mean, people oh, yeah. always say that like yeah, movies don't ask us enough of you anymore. And I think this movie, I mean, it really it, it makes you face it. Like it doesn't. Yeah. It says you're gonna look at it. Like you just look at it, man. You're here. I mean, it happened, and accept it. And, exactly. You know. Well, and and but Affleck also that's commendable. A, I think a quote about that in that article where he said some of the effect of like, you know, if you want to be taught something, you know, that's what schools are for, sort of. And church, you know, you get preached at or whatever, right? Movies mm-hmm. at their best, they're not really meant to educate you, especially like a fictional movie like this, right? Like historical fiction, it's not meant to educate you. It's meant to make you feel and like think and in yeah internalize yeah, what you see like by by showing it in a more like human way it ideally is going to make you empathize and just yeah think about things differently going forward and i think it definitely conveys that and i think that's why they made some of those choices that ultimately departed from proper full-on history but i think you just got to remember like and this applies to you know all historical fiction when it's not done in like a terrible way because sometimes historical fiction you know if you go too far you can ultimately make kind it to of the detriment. get campy you can make it to the detriment of like your message and the film and like you're giving people wrong you know wrong ideas about history but in case like this you know you got to just remember that it's not always about being accurate it's about what the story is trying to tell you and what they're trying to make you think and feel and what message you're trying to tell i think they, they did that well because they didn't we're like it's a you know we're trying to make you feel something so even even though some of those details are different. I think they, they did it on purpose, and I think it's probably for the betterment of their overall sort of message. Yeah, I agree. All right. Let's let's get back to the campy bullshit. Act <laughs> <laughs> attack into some uh, Star Wars news uh, topic I had. Right. Um, which was that in Star Wars Visions, uh, we talked about a couple weeks ago when it came out, um, the ninth Jedi was made by the Japanese studio Production ID. And a uh, sort of new story this week has been that the director of that, whose name is, forgive me here, but it's uh, Kenji Kamiya, maybe? Um, he says that he would love to continue the tale that he and his team began in the short and that they have an entire story mapped out, Um, which I think is really cool. We talked about it when we did our Visions episode that that was one of the more interesting ones, and it was certainly one of the ones that 
definitely can like easily make it more make a longer story. Yeah, exactly. It seemed to have much more story to tell, and we wanted to see that. So I just thought this was really cool. That's kind of all there is to it. There's not there's not much else. There hasn't been like confirmation one or the other if that's gonna happen anytime soon. But I thought it was cool. Yeah, I certainly agree. I, I was a I was a big fan of it. It was one of my favorites. He got into like how, you know, his experience with Star Wars and like he, you know, going in to see uh, the original movie as a kid, like it's, you know, something totally different. And he wanted to kind of make something that had the same kind of feel and stuff, but also was, you know, its own sort of thing. And I, I conveyed that, I think. Yeah, I think so. I think he did it. I think he did what he set out to do pretty well. Yeah. All things considered. It, or at least I did that. Like, I didn't love all of the choices they made. Um, around like messing with the lore but again i also said like i've said for a long time that star wars needs to do some more new stuff and i would like them to go off you know in the distant future or past or something to really just get fill out new stories Mm -hmm. and uh this definitely was that and it felt i don't know it felt that way it felt very epic in scale something about that episode even though it was only 20 something minutes it really felt like they were laying the groundwork for a new sort of series i don't know it was really cool so yeah I think it'd be great if they uh, if they did a full length, even even just like a you know a one season mini series sort of thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, of this the show with the same obviously like studio involved and the same okay, characters and yeah, like a proper just, Star Wars yeah. anime. I think that'd be cool. I, and and I really, I mean, and yeah, it's really good to ground because you've got like the young apprentice little girl because a Jedi. We got the magistrate who's like is probably the most powerful of that group we got the guy who changed sides he's got a purple lightsaber like he's got a like a, kind of a built-in arc kind of there he's got the ethan whose name is ethan which isn't which is weird still to me but he's kind of got stuff like very clearly like you could just not without a lot of like forced contrivance or anything just make like these guys clearly have arcs they can go on and they got to save her father like it's very you just make a whole season or two out of it and i think it would be pretty cool like you well, said, it's it sort of did the thing of like carry over familiar elements without hitting you over the head with it, right? Like, obviously, the protagonist of that was a young girl who's like coming into her own with the Force and like you know mm-hmm. her connection to the Force, which is every Star Wars thing ever, right? But it right, yeah, still felt like new and interesting. And again, like, and I, I didn't love every single detail, but in a fleshed out ser- series, maybe I could uh I could be brought around on that. And again. It is worth doing something different because I, I always say this, like this is my sort of eternal struggle where, I, where I'm, I'm never to be pleased because I can never <laughs> decide if I want things to stick more or less to source material. Because like I always say, if it's too close. It just feels like it's pointless because you're just making a thing again. But if it's too far away, it also seems pointless because like, well, why not just call it something else? Exactly. So in this one, I think it toes that line more or less well for me. Yeah, I'm, the, and as a as a much uh, less uh, stuck in my rut Star Wars fan, I thought it was just fine. I loved, yeah. I liked it all, and I'd be happy to see more of it. You don't care. I you don't. The lore. You're not the worried about the lore of the crystals and the Ilum. No, I'd, I'd I'd be cool. I just thought of it if they like put more colors into it. I like I like that they're I like the yellow. I like yellow lightsaber. I think those are cool. Yeah, I like the green ones. It. Those lightsabers did certainly provide some very interesting like moments. Which yeah, you can't get with normal lightsabers that work like we know them to work. So yeah, 
That's what it is. And again, it's it, it's different, but like you could always do like later on, they make their own lightsabers or something. But, you know, again, a sabersmith, as in like one guy who makes all the lightsabers, is not a thing now, but it definitely wasn't the type of thing that broke anything for me, especially when yeah. you're talking about the far distant future where things are different. So mm-hmm. it's good stuff. So hopefully that, that happens. And, and um, as we kind of talked about off show, it's been very well received this episode. It's like a lot of uh, people seem to consider it the best of them. So maybe hopefully they're seeing that and they, uh, they do something with it. Mm. Yeah. So that would be, that'd be cool. So that's all I had for that one. Do you want to act attack and do the book we read? Uh, yeah. So we got attack into Ender's game by Orson Scott card. Now it may seem very random to you listener that we're going to talk about a book that came out ooh, 20 years ago and had a movie that came out in 2013. But I read that book for a class I have to take, so we decided to read together. It's not very long, and it's very good. So I would just talk about it. Uh, Ender's Game originally came out as a short story in 1977, so it's more like 30, 30 40 years. years. Yeah. And then but the hey. novel came out in 85, so that's like... 35 years yeah so hey but we're sticking close to our name of anything and everything and not just so because you were reading it for school i decided i would also read it because i had acquired the ender's game alive short story or not short story sorry audio play or something (laughs) the ender's game alive audio play that's on audible because it was free and I was like, I kind of want to listen to Ender's Game. And then one day I saw that on there. I was like, ah, oh, it's free. Let me get that. And she's been sitting in my Audible library until you were like, hey, I got to read it for school. And I was like, I'll listen to this. And then we can talk about it. Yeah. So full disclosure, the Ender's Game Alive audio play is obviously like different than the book because it's not a book. Mm. It's not even really an audio book. It's literally an audio play. So it was still written. The script for this was written by Orson Scott Card, and a according to a uh, Reddit comment that I've not been able to uh, properly source source with anything else. Apparently, he considers it one of the best versions, or maybe the best version of Ender's Game that's been done. So apparently, he's a fan um, because it was written only a couple years ago when it came out. It he was able to use like you know the the benefit of of. Knowing Hind- all the stuff that he's written, yeah, basically the hindsight of all he's all the stuff he's written in the universe since then to add in little details and stuff that you know, I guess other fans would recognize because this is the first exposure I've had to it. I didn't really notice a lot of it. Obviously, mm-hmm. apparently, it made it more fit into the universe, which is always fun as like a retcon sort of thing. I've read, you know, it's kind of like somewhat a little divisive, I guess. For some people, seem to yeah. think it's like a really good interpretation of it. Some people seem to think you shouldn't listen to it until unless you've already read the normal book, which I have not. So I said, screw it to those guys. There is, you tell him, Zach. There is an element of because it's an audio play, which is literally characters, you know, acting it out, voice actors acting it out, like acting out discussions with each other. There is no there's no like internal monologue. There's no narration. It's literally just all dialogue. It's people talking to each other like a sort of like a play, but only the audio component right yeah like an audio play exactly. if you were if you if you could imagine such a thing and so there is definitely times in in this where the sort of 
exposition is a little clunky because stuff that would normally just be narration or internal monologue that you wouldn't think twice about now has to be spoken out loud by characters a character to another so character. there is times where like basically the you know and so the other thing is that they, they introduce a, a brand new character for this for the purposes of this audio play named major giotti who is the like psychologist um who's at the yeah, battle, at school. battle school and then later on at command school where she's sort of analyzing ender and like she's the the resource that graph goes to to be like hey can we do this are we gonna ruin him like can you know, see kind of how much he can take and and whatnot. Mm. And so a lot of the runtime of this audio play is them having discussions about what he's doing. Like, they'll be watching him on video being like, ah, he's doing this because of this, this, and this. Ah, what is he thinking about? Probably this. And like, <laughs> from a, you know, as a listener, you're kind of like, man, they're drawing a lot of conclusions. They're really jumping to conclusions here about Ender. <laughs> like... Yeah, they're like just just by watching a video of them, not even talking to the guy. They're very confident in their powers of perception. And again, sometimes it's literally very much like, oh, he's doing this. Oh, and now he is doing this. Oh my goodness, can you believe he just did that? Oh. Can you believe he's playing the the Fantasyland game? Oh no, was, he's the... That is probably the worst example of it, actually, is when he's playing the game. Because there's one at one point, it's literally, it's just Major Giotti. So it's not even a conversation. She's just kind of narrating what's happening on his screen out loud. A thing that no one would ever do. Yeah. <laughs> she's watching play the game and be like, oh my goodness, he's killed the giant. Now he's into fantasy land. Fairyland, it's real. And he's sliding down the giant spot. Oh my goodness. What are all these creatures? Thank you. Yeah. It's a bit much. But overall, I, I enjoyed my, my time with it. I thought it was good. I, uh... So my history with Ender's Game is that this isn't the first time I've read the book. So in 2013, when the movie came out, I saw it in theaters with my family. And then I went, as any, you know, I'm sure listeners, if, if you were a young kid who liked to read, you went, I want to read a book. And you got books for Christmas or your birthday or whatever. Zach and I are very much in that vein of just getting books all the time. We're big bookmen. Um, and I've got like... There's like four books in Ender's series, and I got like the quadrology or whatever the hell you call it, in like a box set. And I read the first Ender's game. Like it's when called I the Ender's Quartet. Quartet. Uh, thank you. you Don't laugh at me. I no, I'm not laughing at you. I'm laughing at them. That's a stupid thing to call it. Yeah, or just just call it that series. I don't know why you'd call it a quartet. It's the Ender series. I, they also just call it that. Yeah, and um, and I read it, and I never actually finished it. The first time I tried to read it, because I'd already seen the movie, so I know the ending. Cause oh, the... I'm sorry. Hold on. Try to cut you off. But originally, when there was just four of them, they were called the Ender's Quartet. And then they added another one, so then it's the Ender Quintet. Oh, <laughs> yeah, there are more. Six. So, no, I don't know what you call it. A sextet, maybe? <laughs> stupid. Uh, so, yeah. just call it the Ender's Series. Yeah, the Ender's Series. So, I read it, and I never, I didn't get through it, because I was like, I saw the movie. So, then, I, then I've, now I've actually read it all the way through. And it's really not that different. Uh, it's a good book. The parts that I didn't, I don't like are, which I don't think Zach, you've seen, is his subplot with his siblings, his two siblings. So, in the uh, audio play, there's basically one scene. There's, yeah, I guess scene you'd call it because it's a play, where literally Peter is like, "Hey, uh, Valentine." we should like take over the world. And she's like, I don't really like you, Peter. I don't want to. And he's like, yeah, but you'll do it. Right. Cause then you get to argue with me online or whatever. And she's like, well, I don't like you very much. So 
I guess that would be fine. And then they just agree to do it and then they do it and it just works out. And like the rest of it, it's just kind of mentioned like, hey, they're they're really uh, getting support, eh? That's kind of it. That's all there is to it, really. Yeah, and I feel like that plot only exists in the book to, I guess, spoilers for Ender's Game, I guess we should say, uh, to have oh, yeah. end. <laughs> if you haven't read it, this this short story from 17, 17, 1977, and this novel from 1985, or this movie from 2013. Oops, sorry. Uh, <laughs> but the plot only seems to exist. And I was talking about with a friend of mine who's also read it, a different person, uh, that to make Ender leave, to make him not return to Earth, and to let him explore the, the the bugger worlds that they've eradicated, and to like find, I the, to find the Queen again, and just be like, all right, and to Planet like planet for the Queen and all, yeah, to kick off Speaker of the Dead and genocide, xenocide, yeah. and Child of the Mind. I told you this, right? Originally. Orson Scott Card just wanted to write Speaker for the Dead. Like, that was the version that he had in his head. He wanted to read, the, read this novel. And he had the character of Ender Wigan, and he was, and he had the whole, he must have had this backstory, right? In his own head, at least, right? Um, mm-hmm. He was this child prodigy who, like, saved the human race by waging war on the, on the Formics and everything. Um, but I think ultimately he was like, he thought that when he, if he wrote it, the backstory, like he couldn't convey enough of the backstory just in Speaker for the Dead. Mm-hmm. So he kind of thought he had to do the standalone Ender's Game story to, to get his story across and right. the character and all the events of it. And so he kind of just wrote Ender's Game almost as a prequel to his, the real books he wanted to write, which was like the rest of the Ender series. Um, and then it just kind of, you know, as, as happens sometimes, Ender's Game became the more the by popular far popular and like sort of the yeah. more iconic of them all all right i do plan i know zach you've read all the descriptions of the rest of the books i do plan to read the other three books in the series i just, just wrote the wiki synopsis. in the wiki i mean we probably could just i mean i could read them you could just listen to the audiobook and just or we could just talk about them i really i'm not gonna be honest all right i am gonna be honest <laughs> um <laughs> i don't have much interest in them we talked about this but the like because of the you know, the way they are written, like I just described, they are not very similar to Ender's Game in plot or theme or like the type of books that they are almost. Mm-hmm. They don't right. do the same sort of stuff. Um, Ender's Game is very much like a sort of, you know, like military fiction sort of thing. Yeah. Like a military science fiction slant, whereas the rest of them, there's not very much military stuff going on. It's 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 a lot more hard sort of science fiction and um, you're dealing with like relativity and stuff, and yeah, again, more hard science fiction. And you're dealing with like the the real like philosophical sort of nature of genocide and everything, and like alien life and what that's all about. It's it's kind of different, not even kind of. It's quite different, I would argue. Mm. To me, it doesn't really appeal. I really enjoyed Ender's Game, but I don't. I do not think I'll pursue those, or for that matter, even the. Uh, the Shadow, Shadow series, which we talked about, which is the other sort of spin-off series, which does actually carry on more of like the themes of Ender's Game and stuff. And it's I think it is more of like a it's got a more military slant in some of those. And it also carries over more characters, which is kind of important to me, at least. Right. Yeah. Is that 
in the rest of the Ender's Game books, the only returning characters are Ender and Valentine. Whereas the Shadow Saga has everyone else from the book from Ender's Game. <laughs> like all the other battle school kids, Peter, Ender's parents, Colonel Graf, they all return for that series. So like that to me kind of appealed more. But even then, I don't I don't think I'm gonna seek these out anytime soon. Fair enough. I guess let's get into more specifics about the book, because we've talked a lot of like ancillary real world stuff around. What did you mm-hmm. think of the actual story? I thought it was good. I uh I enjoyed it. I remember enjoying like besides like I said, the Valentine and um Peter plot, the like just ender stuff is great. Like it's very compelling. It's very easy. Like once you start reading it, it's like you just it kind of just you kind of mm-hmm. blow through it because it's very interesting and it keeps your attention and it's good stuff. Did you remember most of this from reading it before? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I remember. I remember most of it from watching the movie and reading it before. So what do you think really of the good. movie? Because I think that's one of those movies that that's a classic that adaptation was... where people don't like it. Oh, really? I thought it was fine. Like I thought it's pretty yeah. accurate to like what Maybe happens. I'll give her a watch. Because yeah, literally, I mean, I think it always happens exactly like. They do the game and like a cool, like the way they do the game, I think I remember, it's kind of like a, like a weird, like a hand drawn style, like a picture book, I think, or they do it. They do the game and they like, they show the game actually happening. Like when he plays the giant game, Mm -hmm. but he's a, but he's a mouse. I think he's not like himself. He's like a mouse at at first. And then when he kills the giant, he becomes himself. It's like, obviously it's weird and trippy and a weird like game in the, uh, in the, in the audio play. I also do. Oh, so then he must. Then it must be okay. In the book, he isn't. And they're playing the games. I think they have to like pick an animal, and he picks a mouse for whatever reason. And right, yeah, okay. Then that then he probably probably going off kind of what the movie did. I guess he liked the movie, yeah. Because in the movie, he's a mouse in the game until until he kills a giant, then he becomes a person. He becomes himself walking around. I gotta. I might have to rewatch it because I don't remember how much of the game they use. I don't know if he does the like wolf children and the well and the end of the world and the castle beyond. All that, um, but so what do you think of the sci-fi stuff in this? Because I think it's pretty cool. I think it's cool. I like it how they can all the gravity stuff and the games they're playing and the interstellar travel. I like so it takes place in like I think essentially like a hundred years from now, um, at some point in the twenty-second century. Yeah. Um, what do you think about the level of technology that they had? Because I think it's cool. I I, I kind of like it. It's obviously recent enough being written in 88 85 well i guess especially the version i have i don't know do they mention the internet much they well, they, they mentioned in yes for valentine stuff they mentioned the net so it is cool that like this is a recent enough sci-fi thing that the internet exists because that's kind of like a sticking point when you're trying to like write realistic sci-fi right not a sticking point but it's just like it's always a fun sort of quirk when you're looking at sci-fi from the 60s and 70s and 80s stuff like even like Alien and Blade Runner and, and stuff like that, where they have these like pretty well thought out and interesting sci-fi worlds. But they just kind of couldn't even have conceived of like the internet and cell phones and stuff. Yeah, like Alien is probably the best example of that, where they're they have mastered like interstellar travel and stuff, but they and, like cryo freeze. They still have like old like tube monitors, and they're all writing in that like lame green text, and they can't conceive of like the internet. So. I really like that this is recent enough where they're still using the internet and they have that as a, you know, an element of the universe. And, uh, and it's got that an eminent, an, 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 fucking hell, anonymousness. Yeah. 
anonymity and anonymity anonymity jesus christ um so that that is cool to me but then they also have obviously like much more advanced stuff past us mm. they obviously have mastered like near light travel to an extent near information travel is travel yeah that is weird what do, what do you think of that the near light speed information travel no like the faster than light speed information travel. oh it's kind of wild because that means they're like doing wormholes and shit because you can't you can't go faster than light because it's the whole point. You need infinite mass to go faster than light and yeah. infinite speed. Very weird, isn't it? Does yeah. They explain it. Um, I guess you just have to for the purpose of the of the of the book. You just have to suspend your disbelief on that. But it is still weird. Mm-hmm. For sure. It's called Ansibles, and like I was reading about this, and it's just a sci-fi thing essentially. Um. That's like used in a lot of sci-fi stuff, apparently. So I've never heard of it before this book, but mm. apparently it's. Let's see. Orson Scott Card uses it um, as an unofficial name for his for the Philodic Parallax Instantaneous Communicator, a machine capable of commuting across infinite distances with no time delay. Um. So. Dang, it's crazy. Weird, right? Yeah, pretty pretty crazy. It says in the universe of Ender's Game, the Ansible's function of all the. F- Fictional subatomic particle, the philote, the two quarks inside a pi meson can be separated by an arbitrary distance while remaining connected by philotic rays. Oh, okay. So this is, this concept is similar to quantum teleportation due to entanglement, which I literally, no joke, texted you when I was reading. Yeah. So, yeah. Look at that. I mean, I'm no fucking uh, theoretical physicist. Yeah, um, so take it with as much salt as you can muster, but. <laughs> That's the only thing I've ever heard where they're like conceivable way of doing simultaneous communication. But that was cool. We talked about like the zero gravity stuff and all. Obviously, yeah. the spaceships are pretty cool. They don't get into it much, at least in my version, like the specifics of spaceships and what they do. It's not really what it's about, I guess, because it's yeah. more of like a command sort of perspective on it. But it's cool. It's an interesting. Uh, I, uh, the, the, the doctor. The the weapon they use at the end, the doctor, yeah. um, whatever they call it, doctor, the doctor device or whatever, that like separates the particles, but like won't let them come together, so they kind of just suspend. That's a very interesting concept, like forcing distances when he destroys the planet. Um, I always, I I thought it was a little. I like kind of like uh, the humor. There's kind of like some military humor in there, which I kind of like. When in the beginning of each chapter, I don't know if they have in the play, but I guess the I guess the play kind of has it throughout. Uh, there's there's like bold text of disembodied voices talking about Ender at the beginning of each chapter or most chapters, and they'll be like, "I don't know, you keep doing this graph. Like you're kind of pushing this kid too hard. He's like eight. He shouldn't be like stressed." And he's like, "Ah, it's fine." And they're like, "Hey, on the record, are we gonna do it?" He's like, "It's on the record. Like they're not. They're, they never stop recording. Like everyone's gonna know I did this. It's fine." Or when um they're hitting that planet. And Graf is like, all right, put this into your ship. Take us here. He goes, I don't think I can do that. He goes, the ship never here to go. Take us to like Eros or whatever it's called. Mm-hmm. And the guy's like, do I even have clearance? He's like, but that place is like a, a radiated mess. And then he like kind of looks at Graf and Graf just kind of gives him a look. He goes, do I even have clearance to know that it exists? He's like, no. When we get there, you're stuck there forever till the yeah. war's over. So. Yeah. And he's like, what the? F-? He's like, God damn it! I didn't ask for this. Why'd you do that to me? He's like, like eh. we, we picked you specifically because we knew you didn't have any family. So yeah, so, <laughs> you're kind of stuck. Uh, what is it? Mazer says the same thing 
when he's showing Ender all the tapes, he's like, yeah, all the scientists who've looked at these tapes, they're mad because once they see them, they're stuck here forever. So, sucks to be them. Yeah. It's cool stuff. Uh, again, like, there's obviously, like, a larger sort of commander perspective, but I, I did like the, the military sort of, like, space battle stuff. It's pretty cool. Oh, yeah. I liked the uh, the description of, like, the, the second Formic War one. And and obviously the little twist that is like Mr. Rackham won by just destroying their queen and then because they're like a hive mind, they all just shut down. Shut down, which was cool. Um I like the con like I really like this sort of the world it created of like, hey, we faced these aliens twice. We know that unless we've really put our nose to grindstone here, we won't survive a third time, right? Mm. No. An unarmed a, a virtually unarmed scout ship arrived and practically beat us. Then a battle fleet showed up, and we we barely beat that back. If they show up with like the bulk of their fucking planet, we're doomed. Like, yeah, we, we need to figure this out. I, it's a very interesting world that they set up, and like really good stakes. I think. Yeah, it's very interesting, like how they, how nobody in the military is delusional about the true nature of what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Like Graf was when he's explaining this to Ender when they're on the three month trip to the, the the command school planet, he's like, "Yeah, they're not like us. Like they don't use writing or like communicate. Like they don't. They we're like incomprehensible to them. They don't write. They don't talk to each other. Like they just are connected by through a hive mind. We think. And just like, well, it's like it could just all be a miscommunication. And just like, well, what's like why? Like why are we fighting? Us? Well, because it's them or us. Like I think Graf and Mazer are like, yeah, well, we gotta survive. Like. Yeah, um, we're not on the off chance we're wrong, we all die. So it sucks, but just how it's got to be. Like they're gonna kill us, or we're gonna kill them, and that's just well, that's no ultimately if- the conclusion Ender comes to. Even once he realizes, like at the end, and and obviously the whole like twist sort of end happens. Even he is like, well, I mean, I know that's what had you know how it had to go. Like there's no other way. Essentially, he really was with us, us or them. And mm-hmm. You kind of make the only choice you could, but he still didn't enjoy it, did he? No, I mean, he's only, what, 15, 14? Yeah, like 12 or something, <laughs> maybe even still at that point. Yeah. I will say, that was the other thing. So, I like I said, I do think they did a good job of setting up a world, or I guess really, Orson Scott Card does, of setting up the stakes to an unbelievable way. And obviously, you know, they kind of ob- obfuscate this point at first because they let, mm-hmm. or at least they let Ender think that an invasion fleet is coming, right? And that they, because they can see it slowing down out of light speed, they know when it's going to arrive and like time is running very very short obviously the reality was that their fleet was nearly arriving at the formic world and that's why time was running short yeah but because of that it does sort of go you know a ways to explain why they would even be considering using children the way they are i don't think it fully explains it to be honest because like it's just we talked about this it's kind of hard to suspend your disbelief at points for how young these kids are at least i personally No, I agree because they're like six. Like they like they start at six. They're like we're taking you to, and you'll never see your family again. You won't know them. Right. They'll all be strangers to you. And like I know what happens in real life, and I guess the world that they have, which is the entirety of Earth, is is under one government essentially, all devoted, dedicated to this one mission. I guess in that context, it works because like there is obviously outliers on in the real world. Like there's. I think, I don't know if I said it to you, but like I was, cause I was, as I was reading, I was like, all right, how conceivable even is this? And like, I was looking up like, what are the youngest people who are ever like graduated from college and shit? And it's like, 
there is literal 11 year olds and shit who have graduated from colleges and whatnot. Yeah. Like there is truly, you know, outlier, like genius, genius, geniuses, you know, absolute prodigies. So like, I guess if you took the entire world and everyone was dedicated to the search for like absolute super genius children, maybe that would happen. And I guess, I guess you can kind of believe it to me. It's like, not just how smart they are, but also how like emotionally mature they seem to be at times. Mm-hmm. Kind of at odds for me personally. They just seem to act and talk like they are just pretty much adults. Which I find hard to, to fully buy. But again, in the context of like, there is no time. I guess the thing to me is it's, you know, it's obviously convenience for the plot. And like, this is just, again, you got to suspend your disbelief, right? This is just the story that he was telling, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it is kind of like convenient that... The, the guy that they really needed, like the the actual, like, you know, successor to Miserakum, the actual, you know, savior guy, did, you know, was born with just enough time to lead the fleet. Yeah. Like, if Ender had been just a couple years younger, it might have not worked out. Or a couple years older, he might have not well, yeah, survived or long enough. You, or, like, even decades older. Like, what is there, what, what was stopping, you know, the super genius from being born at any other point in the lead-up? Because they talk about how they had, like, 80 years between the second and third Formic Wars. Yeah. So, you know, again, it, that's kind of for the plot. It's more dramatic, obviously, isn't it? But mm, Yeah, so you, I mean, you gotta, that's like anything. Like, what happens if they're, if the chosen one's not born at the right time? So what did you think about, like, the sort of, I guess sort of twist ending where it's revealed that the last sort of section there was never a game. It it was the actual war that they were fighting. I thought it was a really good twist when I saw it in the movies and it's done very well in the book as well. I was not as, as impactful um, in the book because I knew it, but I mean, if yeah. you, I realized like if you just read the book, not knowing this twist, it would be like, well, that's crazy. You can kind um, of see creeping up, but like, I yeah. obviously didn't know. And it was, more, I, I didn't know that like sort of the plot of Ender's game was that, at some point, they kind of manipulate him and and trick him. So I like I did know in the back of my head that that's kind of where we're heading towards. Yeah. So I I did see it coming to a certain extent, but towards the end, I was like, oh, so this is just the war that they're fighting. Like that's and then obviously the ultimate you know revelation that you know they blew up the whole planet. They 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 genocided or they that's why the book's called that, right? They genocided that whole race. At least at the time, obviously there's the egg, but at first he believes he's literally you know. Destroyed an entire species of of intelligent life. It just they they couldn't really understand, but he just is like, well, we got to do it. Yeah, it's uh, you can definitely kind of it's it's very yeah it's very interesting how they do it, and it makes sense like why they don't tell him. They're like, well, we can't tell you because if you know, you won't do it right. Mm-hmm. You have to be a kid, and you have to think it's a game, but you have to also want to win the game at all costs. Mm-hmm. So we kind of have to, we have to do, it has to be, it has to go exactly right or we all will die. Yeah. And like, if you believe that these are, if you, if you learned that these are real pilots that you're sending to their death, you would be that, much more cautious. Yeah. And that these are real formics that you're killing. You're not going to be able to like remove yourself enough to do what needs to be done. Yeah. I, mean, I think Manchester says that exact thing. He's like, yeah, yeah. I'm too cautious. Like I, I know everything, so I can't like, I know too much. So I guess that's also the kind of reason they needed him to be young. Like, it all was sort of, like, calculated. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and like we talked about, that that sort of idea of genocide and, like, was it justified? Is it ever justified? Like, you know, it sort of colors a lot of the later books in the series. That's what they sort of get into more. Right. Um, 
but yeah, even just as like the tail end of this one, it's it's a pretty pretty interesting thing to wrestle with, right? Yeah. Like I said, it's it's a very interesting world. I like I really do find the idea of like I said, you fought off the first alien invasion, you barely scraped by the second one, and now like all of human like literally the entire planet Earth is waging total war against an alien race, right? Mm. Every single, you know, man, woman, child, not just of a particular country, but of pretty much the entire planet is is bringing everything we have to bear on creating like a fleet and training up people to fight an alien invasion is a really cool concept i think and like yeah the the ultimate you know culmination of that of they were actually on the offensive they were gonna you know strike first yes i mean he he strikes first strikes best that's right is it is a really cool idea another another idea um i don't know if they talk about in your audio play but one of the reasons that Peter and Peter decides to take over the world with Valentine is because he knows that once once like they win or yeah. the everyone's kind of gearing up for war again. Yeah, he sees the writing on the wall. Yeah, he's like mm, things are going bad, and I'm gonna try to fix them and do all this stuff, which I thought yeah w- was pretty interesting. How it's like it, I think almost actually pretty accurate that like once once the common enemy is gone. Why would they say like okay? And now I can just do go yeah. back to what we were doing before and try to wage war on each other and kill everyone else. Totally, especially because, like I said, they they've been waging this sort of total war, right? They've been the whole planet has become militaristic in ostensibly in defense, right? Mm-hmm. But once you know, it's either going to go two ways: either they're all going to die anyways, or they're going to win. And now you have a bunch of you know hyper genius officers that you've trained up. You have a bunch of like space age military tech that you've developed and you have yeah this very tenuous sort of like alliance with between all the the countries and like when there's no reason to fear the formics anymore because we killed literally all of them yeah they're all dead happened to the earth politics and again that's what that that shadow saga really gets into is like the aftermath of it all but i agree that's that's a sort of cool cool way to do it too like I think that is, like you said, sort of realistic to not that it, I, I don't know if it would have took me out of the book necessarily if they didn't mention that, but I think, right, that, yeah, it, I think just it adds to the world. Yeah, for sure. That like, this is in the background that if this was real, there might be some of that, right? Hmm. So what's that dumb movie we watched? Was Tomorrow Wars? Wars? Yeah. <laughs> that same thing of like every planet or every nation agrees like, all right, we're all going to team up on this. As soon as that common enemy has gone. Yeah. Shit. Was normal or if anything get worse and like that's again that's sort of the plot of all those those follow-up books and that's why ender can't return because everyone would want him because he's the most brilliant you know tactical genius ever and then his brother wouldn't manipulate him because that's all his brother does throughout the book yeah his brother who's already hegemon would yeah. have the most powerful weapon potentially and he could do whatever he wanted yeah it's cool i really liked it i can see why uh ender's game is a famous book it's like everybody held, likes it yeah i see why it's held up as like one of the greatest sort of well i don't know i think it is right it's I'd one so. greater sci-fi fictions ever right yeah i would yeah. have to agree with that it's really good stuff um oh just the other thing we want to mention we did talk about this we're joking around that this book is suggested reading apparently for the marine corps which i just thought was yeah somewhat funny because that feels like a very surface a bit- level reading of it very tone deaf, I, I think. think. Right? It's like, like, oh, they're training to fight in the yeah, train that. But it's like, you know, they're the bad guy, right? They're like, kind of the very by the end. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I feel like that's very surface level. Taking all the the bro lessons throughout the the 
sort of beginning of the book and all the, the power play and the, the game that they fight, play at battle school and all the, the quote-unquote alpha male stuff that's littered <laughs> throughout. And it doesn't like seem to really accept like the final conclusion of that which is, yeah. with the, which is that whole like you know i you know to beat my enemy i must like truly know my enemy and when i truly and know, to know enemy, him i I love, I love him so i, I cannot beat him i don't think that's what the marine corps is going no for. no i can't imagine. i didn't know the marines could read nah. personally so, <laughs> no i mean good on, obviously but um good on you if you listen you're in the marines I, thank you for your I, service I, guess I feel like that's a little surface level yeah, so they got very U.S. military. Be like, well, they got the U.S. military in here. That must be a book you should read. So fighting and and punching and and a bunch of little boys fighting each other in in a space school. Yeah, for the good of our America, for, Ameri- for alpha male dominance. That seems what we want. And and enter the calculating sigma male. The, enter the absolute sigma. And then yeah, to just kind of ignore the the ending, which is like, and there's like, oh, this was bad all along. Like maybe this is never a good thing. War is never good. Like it's, it's you know, it's, it's a horrible, horrible thing. Fortunate means to an end, I guess. Yeah. This was not a just thing that he did. Yeah. Ultimately, good book. I'm right, very glad, good. Glad we read it. All right. Well, really, I'm glad I listened to the audio play. And I'm glad I read the actual book. There you go. For the second time. The duality of man, truly. Something, something, duality of man. Exactly. Which may be an episode title coming up. Okay. Act attack into. Favorite bit of news recently. This this is like weeks old at this point, but we just haven't got to it. Very exciting to me. Less so to you because you're a big grump and you hate me. <laughs> um, Charlie Cox Daredevil is rumored to be returning to the MCU. Now, we have <sighs> talked about this in the context of Spider-Man No Way Home. And I don't know where the status of that rumor is at. I think exactly. it's less so now. Okay, so there you go. But this is in the context of the Echo Show. Now, I think it would be good if... They did both, you know, get him on there, you know, get some recognition out there, you know, start throwing him in everything to get that, uh, that brand mm-hmm. solidified, but whatever. This specific sort of rumor that came out a couple of weeks ago is that he's going to be returning to that Echo show. And actually the rumor is that apparently like most of the cast of Daredevil may be returning for that show. Oh, wow. Okay. This is like. Totally rumor, no confirmation at all. But the rumors that Charlie Cox as Daredevil, and I think maybe I, I really don't know, but I thought maybe um, like Foggy Nelson and Karen Page. I really don't know, but that's I think that was sort of the implication. But definitely the other big one was Vincent D'Onofrio as Wilson Fisk, right? And we talked about this when we talked about Echo that Daredevil and Wilson Fisk are essentially like essential um, for. Echo's, Echo's story, yeah, Kingpin, story, and... essentially. So, like, I think we kind of talked about like uh, interesting to see where they're going with that, and it seems like they are just going to bring him back because they are kind of essential to tell that story. So, mm-hmm. I think that's cool and exciting because I really like that Daredevil show. I really like Charlie Cox's Daredevil. I enjoy Vincent as Wilson Fisk. I think that's good stuff, man. I know you hate Daredevil for some reason because you're, you're just. <laughs> I just don't care. Don't, Why? don't What's care for him. about Daredevil? He's great. I don't know. I just... He's got that Catholic guilt? I mean, good on him. I mean, you know, who doesn't have a little bit of Catholic guilt? He's blind. He beats men with sticks. It's, it's, never, it's never one I really got into. Not one of the ones I... Now, I will say, so it's kind of some of the details of this. Again, 
I'll say it again. It, it is still rumored, but apparently the version of them that will be appearing is not exactly the version from the show, which is kind of weird and dumb and, and overly convoluted, but it is what it is. Right, yeah. Apparently they are not going to treat the Netflix shows as canon to the MCU. Oh. Essentially, well, Kevin Feige like hates them. Yeah, I think he does. He will be bringing them over with a sort of like kind of i guess like a uh flash forward kind of backstory whether they show it or not i really don't know what what they're going for but apparently you know they'll have some aspects that will be the same and some that'll be different like mm -hmm. you know, it, maybe it'll be the type of thing where it could sort of loosely connect to that netflix show or not i really don't know but apparently they are not keeping entirely canon to that it, right. the only thing that's like been definitively said so far I know that there's been a lot of talk lately about like these spin-off shows. I've seen rumors of Agatha Harkness getting a show. I've mm. seen rumors that Monica Rambo is going to get a show. I've seen the guy who does Punisher talk about if he was going to come back as the Punisher in the MCU. Just like a lot of that kind of yeah. stuff popping up lately. Well, and like another big one is that did we talk about this? I think we did or maybe I definitely have this on the list to talk about when we get to the Hawkeye series. But there's either a rumor or just like fan speculation. This is, I think, have I said this or not, Jack? But that um, Kingpin will also be in that Hawkeye show. Yeah, we we talked about that when we talked about the trailer with yeah. Echo. I think uh, we talked about it with Echo back in, okay, in the Crosshair. Or Echo of the Past, I should say. So throw that on the list of things that we might be right about. or if Safest bets. And never mention again. Yeah. Um, Cut it out from the episode. Because the Kingpin is in that Hawkeye comic that I love so much that is related or it seems to be a, a big you know source of inspiration for this show so he could even get introduced in that and like again it, it, i think that's kind of an interesting way to do it is like sort of soft introduce them in, in smaller roles in some of these things then kind of ramp up to them making full reappearances in like a major story role right yeah super cool uh the other sort of rumor like so this is the the sort of quote-unquote leaker guy says that they are potentially also developing a Daredevil focused project beyond Echo because the rumor is maintained that even though these characters might appear, the Echo series will, of course, still be, you know, about Echo. Um, so uh, apparently, like, there's the rumors either that this Daredevil centric project is Echo or that they could be actually working on a Daredevil season four, but again, if you are canon. saying that they're not going to be canon, it wouldn't really be a season four, would it? Oh, so, no, really. I don't know. It's still very much in flux, up in the air. I'm just excited because I really like Daredevil, as you know. Big fan. I do. Especially in this show. I'm not going to lie. Like I won't pretend. I'm mostly a Daredevil fan because of this show. I haven't read a ton of comics. Uh, right. And I definitely had not prior to this show. So I'm definitely a, a Daredevil bandwagoner, but that's fine, I think. Uh, I'm certified I'm not a Dear Devil bandwagoner. I... I'd rather not see him. Get rid of him. Don't want him. Well, obviously, we do know Echo is getting a spinoff. See, like, this is just... <laughs> Apparently, the Marvel Disney Plus shows are just <laughs> just spinoff factories, right? Yeah. Echo is appearing in Hawkeye to then get her spinoff show. 
And then Daredevil might be in the Hawkeye spinoff, sh- or in the Echo spinoff show to get his own show. Yeah, show. It's just it's just a, a backdoor pilot factory. It <laughs> really is. I'm so with this news of all these shows. I know. I think we talked about it before, and like people are like, "Oh, there's too much Marvel stuff." I don't know. Some of this stuff makes me go like, "Do we really need I mean, that?" Yeah, I think we kind of said that when we were talking about Echo. To me, at least, yeah. it's a strange choice. I mean, especially when you frame it as Echo will be before Daredevil. That is kind of like, wow, that's yeah. interesting that they're going that route. Um, mm-hmm. We talked about how, like, she's not that big of a character, even in the comics. Like, No, because she was gone for yeah. several years. I think she's we like, mentioned that yeah, episode. Yeah, she's, like, back now because of Phoenix stuff, maybe. But I don't think they're going to go that route, <laughs> really. So it's interesting that they're giving her her own show. Even if you compare it to, like, the other disney plus shows a lot of which are sort of like b and c tier characters they are mm-hmm. still above her i would argue you know you're mil- oh definitely and, uh, and they're already established yeah. characters so that's uh, it's certainly going to be interesting to see how they do it i'm sure they'll be good and we're definitely going to watch them but hopefully a little hot. hopefully they will all appear in all the things we named that'd be fun yeah and young avengers and secret wars secret invasion excuse me not secret wars yeah yeah We'll just have to see. It'd be cool if... Well, again, we definitely know that Echo is going to be in the Hawkeye show. But So it'd be cool if, if Kingpin is also in that. And I really still would like it if Daredevil was still in Spider-Man. But that remains to be seen. There are two people in Spider-Man. I, we need to start cutting people out of Spider-Man. <laughs> Maybe. And uh, then if that's the case, then everyone can show up in the Echo show as well. It'll be, it'll be good times. I'm excited. Yeah, for sure. Do we want to talk about just a couple of the other little... You and you kind of just mentioned it, but apparently there's another rumor floating around. We could not find anything about it other than uh, a random Instagram post you saw, so maybe it's purely... Speculation. There, there's a rumor going around that some of the Avengers are going to be appearing in Secret Invasion, which is like, it's been our whole thing this whole time. This whole Our whole show has been predicated on that. There has to be some, because like Secret Invasion isn't really the Secret Invasion story if it's just... Samuel L. Jackson. Right. <laughs> Running around. So this rumor specifically, the one that you saw named uh Miss Marvel, Captain Marvel, and Captain America, right? So mm-hmm. which kind of also ties into the thing I was saying, which was that like the di- maybe they'll just draw Disney Plus characters, which that kind of is because Hawkeye or not Hawkeye, sorry, but Captain America, like is in the Sam Wilson version, and uh Miss Marvel are obviously Disney Plus characters, you know, right? They have their shows, and I think Captain Marvel's going to be in the Dis- the Miss Marvel show, right? So like that, mm-hmm. that kind of tenuously still works. I'm call- I'm gonna I'm claiming it. That's I mean, I, that's, that's the that same thing. Part. Speaking of Miss Marvel, I've seen rumors that her about her like how her powers are going to work because they're going to be different. That they might she might do constructs like sort of a Green Lantern esque vibe. She can create things with cosmic energy. That's kind of um, cool. Yeah, so I think, I mean, I like Green Lantern. I really like uh, all those comics. Probably most of my favorite DC comics are Green Lantern stuff, so I'm all down for that. It'd be funny if they did a, <laughs> if Marvel did a good Green Lantern before DC did. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you know, I think we talk about that. We can, I guess I'm not going to say Akatech because it's all kind of just comic book movie rumors. Mm-hmm. But uh, recently, DC had their fandom event. And they released stuff about the new Flash movie they're making after how long? Uh, 10, 100 years after they've announced it? And how it deals with the multiverse. How This is how they're going to start the DC multiverse. 
which is just like, I know I always say, I think we said it in episode eight of the show, this is like Slander Hour, go listen to it, about how DC just kind of copies whatever Marvel does, because they think that's how it works. Uh, and this time, I think they literally just are, because it's very like, just they're like, oh, we're doing multiverse, even though Marvel is now doing the multiverse. But the difference is that Marvel like put in the time and kind of earned it, and DC has earned nothing, and they're terrible. See, and that's sort of the <laughs> sort of the trend, isn't it? Oh yeah. I mean, we dog on DC a lot, but that is sort of like a thing, isn't it? Is that they seem to just have continuously been trying to play catch up with Marvel, of like, all right, Marvel did the big Avengers team up. They've been doing this. All right, we want to do an Avengers team up too, but um, we haven't really done all the solo movies or anything, so. But they won't notice, right? Let's just do Batman v Superman and just make yeah. it a, the introduction of Wonder, Wonder Woman, Woman, The Flash, and Batman and The Flash and Aquaman and all of them. But also just and have Cyborg them up in that movie. No one will notice, right? No one knows that we're skipping and then, six and, movies and, worth of stuff. And then if Superman die, and also write all their characters weird. What if we then, did? What if we did Batman versus Superman, the origin of the Justice League, and the death of Superman, all in one movie? You think anyone so, will notice? You think anyone will notice if we do three big comic events in one film? You think anyone will notice? You think anyone will notice if after we do the team movie Justice League, we do a Wonder Woman movie where she learns she can fly, but it takes place in 1984, so there's no reason why she should have been able to fly in Justice League. Nah. No one will notice, right? It'll be fine. No one knows if we make Zack Snyder write this movie and we never make him read a comic book, right? No one will notice. But as you so aptly pointed out, it is also funny that they have been talking about doing this movie for years and years, and they could have potentially beaten, beaten Marvel to the punch on the sort of multiverse thing, but they've <laughs> dragged their feet so See, much that they. You know what I? You know what I? I definitely think. I definitely think it was never. It was only recently been changed to the multiverse, and that's why they've greenlit it. Because I think that the Flash movie has been rewritten probably four or five times, and it's been that a different movie every time. And I think now that they're like. Well, Flashpoint exists, so we could do the multiverse, and they're like, well, Marvel's about to do that, so let's do that. I will say, though, I think even the earliest incarnations of this Flash movie were some form of Flashpoint. I think that's been, like, the rumored sort of plot of this from the beginning, so. Right. To give them a little bit of credit. Also, do you want to throw in just just one last thing here for for, uh, comic book movie rumors? I don't know if this is true. Um... Or if this is even a recent thing, but I just saw it in a, like a tweet recently. This is a joke, but I thought it'd be funny to talk about. Um, apparently it's rumored that Chris Evans might return as Johnny Storm in Multiverse of Madness. Oh, that'd be would be very fun. That'd be hysterical. Uh, I'd love it because, you know, like, as we made that joke before. I was gonna say, haven't we literally talked about? We we literally talked about it. We talked about so, it. I, think that'd be I don't remember what episode it was, but we talked about it. Because Chris Evans, you know, was Johnny Storm before he was Captain America. Captain America. So it's just funny that he has a connection to a a different Marvel sort of universe. So it's conceivable. I think It'd be funny. Oh, yeah. If not, you know, as actually, you know, the actual Johnny Storm for the MCU, but as just a. Just a cameo or something in Doctor Strange. I think that would be fun. Mm-hmm. So maybe they'll do it. That would be actually the first uh, Fantastic Four character we would see in the MCU then. Yeah. Just be like, hey, I'm Johnny Storm. Uh, I'm from the Fantastic Four. Who are you? And then he leaves. Yeah. Pretty good. I think it would be good. Slightly amusing, I would argue. At least slightly. All right. I got one more attack if, if you got nothing else. Yeah. 
we're getting we're getting a little long in the tooth here, so let's get one more in and all right, call it. Hey, Chubb, this won't be too long. Just a bit of a classic Zach rant. So, all right. Another thing from recent weeks is that the hold on. Let, let me get the uh, all of the uh, specifics here. So, J.W. Rinsler, who is a writer, right? Mm-hmm. Want to say? Oh, he just passed this year. Well, it's rough. We're about to drag wow. him a little. No, I'm just kidding. It's <laughs> not really about him. Um. So he was the nonfiction editor at Lucasfilm, I guess. He was like a essentially the historian, sort of. I don't know what that all means. I don't know what being an executive editor at Lucas Books would consist of, but yeah, yeah whatever. Right. He's a writer yeah. kind of guy, right? He's involved with books. So he has a book that came out, I guess, this year, um, called Howard Kazanjian, A Producer's Life, which um examines i guess this guy i've never heard of him hold on god damn it so this guy howard kazanjian was also a he was a film producer he has he worked on oh he's still around okay he worked on the empire strikes back return of the jedi um indiana jones Mm -hmm. uh, raiders of the lost ark oh he was also vice president of lucasfilm at one point so basically this is not about either of these guys though it just so happens that in this guy's book about this other guy there's an interview <laughs> with Marsha Lucas, who is George Lucas's ex-wife. And God knows how this would have come up if they were discussing, you know, the movies that they worked on in the 80s. But somehow the new movies came up and she has some opinions. So she said, I, I, this is a whole big quote here. I'll just read it all. So there's a big block. Okay. So she says, I like Kathleen. I always, this is referring to, of course, um, Kathleen Kennedy, who was the president of Lucasfilm right now still. So she says, I like Kathleen. I always liked her. She was full of beans. She's really smart and really bright, really wonderful woman. And I liked her husband, Frank. I like them a lot. Now that she's running Lucasfilm and making movies, it seems to me that Kathy Kennedy and J.J. Abrams don't have a clue about Star Wars. They don't get it. And J.J. Abrams is writing these stories. When I saw that movie where they kill Han Solo, I was furious. I was furious when they killed Han Solo. Absolutely, positively, there was no rhyme or reason to it. I thought, you don't get the Jedi story. You don't get the magic of Star Wars. You're getting rid of Han Solo. She says, they have Luke disintegrate. They killed Han Solo. They killed Luke Skywalker. And they don't have Princess Leia anymore. And they're spitting out movies every year. And they think it's important to appeal to a woman's audience. So now their main character is this female who's supposed to have Jedi powers. But we don't know how she got Jedi powers or who she is. It sucks. These storylines are terrible. Just terrible. Awful. You can quote me. J.J. Abrams, Kathy Kennedy, talk to me. Lucas says in the book, and, and that's it. So, did a did a guy on Reddit write that? <laughs> that's see, isn't that kind of the vibes that that throws off? Yeah, no, definitely. It sounds like some neckbeard soy boy was like, but no, I can't, I can't it believe is, it. The it's Mark. what what kills me is that she's like, I can't believe they made a woman a Jedi. Like, what? <laughs> Why would you say that? I, Jack, I could not agree more. That's um, what gets me the most. I'm like, all right, Han, whatever. Han Solo, Luke, Princess Leia, okay, whatever. But does she know there's no Luke, Connor, Leia in the prequels, right? She knows they aren't. Now, that's those... a different thing. Apparently, she also hates the prequels. Okay, well, at least she's um, consistent. She has a quote where when the prequels came out, I don't have that specific one pulled up, but when the prequels came out, she still knew somebody who worked at Lucasfilm, and she still knew was worked somebody worked there and invited her a screening and apparently after she saw episode one she cried in her car so 
to her credit, <laughs> she hates those as well. I guess. Um, okay, at least that's something. I agree because I something that bothers me more than just hating the sequels is people who um, are like prequel apologists, but then also hate the sequels and like don't see the uh, the sort of irony of that. Yeah, kind of cutting for, their nose to spite their face, kind of deal. For years and not that you can't like the prequels, of course. I do, obviously. Big Star Wars nerd. We all know that. Yeah, we're all I here. It's funny when they don't recognize the irony of like people hated those prequels for years and years until now we all agree that they're great all along. And then if you flip that now we're at the sequels and everyone's like, ah, these suck. They don't know what star Wars is as if that's not the same exact shit they've been saying about. They were saying about the, the prequels for years, but Oh yeah. It's whatever. So actually Lucas good on her. Like she's obviously entitled to her opinion there and she, she knows movies and stuff, but this is kind of the classic, like Martin Scorsese, uh, all those other old fucks. theme park rides where they're just like talking shit about new stuff that's popular because they're Again, like 80. She's good. Like, Marsha Lucas is credited a lot as having saved a new hope in the edit, like that exact phrase that she saved it in the edit, right? Mm. That the movie that George shot was a little too long and had too much, too much fluff to it and stuff. And that if, if someone else hadn't, uh, cut it down in some certain spots it could have been a real slog apparently and so like good on her great work there she also worked on like taxi driver and stuff like she clearly knew knew what was up right mm. that being said that also doesn't mean that her opinion on this movie deserves any more like weight than anyone's opinion right right of course as the famous quote jack opinions opinions are like assholes Everybody's got them, and they all stink. They all stink. So, like, good on her. I do think, though, she's also just kind of wrong about some of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, that kind of goes against what I just said, but I'm just going to just say it. No one's making me be logically consistent on here, is it? <laughs> nope, so I'm certainly not. I'll say what I want. Um, but like you said, I think it is very funny that... Or not funny, I don't even know what the word is. But Shocking, yeah, she, I'd say. I'm mostly shocked. Yeah, that she specifically called out the women being bad um, because, you know, she is a woman. You think she'd think, have a little more sympathy to that? I don't know. I don't know. It's, just, um, it's very strange. It is, isn't it? Isn't it just? And um, the also the, the big sort of specific thing she mentioned was killing Han Solo as being like awful and can't even understand it. There's no rhyme or reason to it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of rhyme or reason to it, like in a story, right? Yeah. Um, Han Solo was the mentor of that movie, and as per the good old classic yeah. hero's journey, you need to the kill him. You need to kill the mentor, so like, like in the New Hope, like in a New Hope, yeah, like in a New Hope, or perhaps Revenge of, Phantom or Menace. of the Jedi, or perhaps the Phantom Menace, like every other Star Wars thing ever. You need to kill the Jedi Master because he knows too much, and obviously Han Solo kind of in. The Force Awakens, they kind of play on that a little because he's not actually the Jedi Master, but he is clearly the, the archetypical mentor character. And that's why you need to kill him. Because he's the end mentor. And the characters need to like be on their own and like need to grow. So you can't do that with a you know that that's just mm-hmm. that's just storytelling. I don't know, that's what they do. <laughs> that's that's how it goes. And the same thing applies to Luke in The Last Jedi. He's the mentor. And he he imparted wisdom on them, and he taught them stuff. But sometimes you need to get rid of the mentor so that the heroes can sit on their own and like face challenges by themselves. And that's what they did. So it makes sense. 
again, just like happens in the original trilogy that she worked yeah. on and seems to think are so much better. And she saved, uh, she literally saved and edited. To say that that's like, you don't get the Jedi story. Like, what are you, what are you saying, man? What, what is the Jedi story to you? Yeah. I don't, I don't know, man. Again, good for her opinion or whatever, but fuck. This stuff gets so tedious. Because, again, good on her or whatever. Again, it's not that big a deal. But the problem with this is just how many dudes came out of the woodwork to be like, yes, unequivocal proof that the sequels that, are bad. She said so. We were all right all along. And he's just like, God, this sucks. I wish we'd just get over this. Let's move on. Every two months. Don't worry. New. Don't worry. When Star Wars 10, 11, and 12 come out, we can just get on those. Yeah, and everyone's going to be like, actually, the sequels were underrated masterpieces. Yeah, literally. Uh, actually, The Last Jedi was like probably the best Star Wars movie. Actually, if you think about it, Palpatine and the Skywalker and the Palpatine bloodline being fought over nine movies is actually probably a cinematic masterpiece. There's going to be a hundred YouTube essayists talking about it. Just the way of the world. Hell's other people. People are so... They're just so extreme with this sequel stuff. And like like you said, it goes... The, the pendulum has swung back so far. They they heap up so much unnecessary praise under the se- the prequels. Again, I like those movies probably more than they deserve. Right? I'm a, I'm a big I'm a big shill for Star Wars. Okay, right, of course. But I can still accept their flaws. They're not correct. They all have flaws. Every Star Wars movie has flaws. Yeah. Right? But when you see people literally being like, actually, actually, I don't even think Hayden Christensen his acting isn't even bad. He's actually perfect in that role. And I'm like, come on, is that <laughs> we're really all the way back? Like. I love yeah. fire or whatever, but fuck, he's not very good. And I think I, I don't think we talked yeah. about this. I don't think we ever talked about this show, but we definitely have talked about it in person. It's like when he was rumored to come back for the Kenobi show and everyone was like losing their mind. I kind of wanted to be like, hey, you guys remember, like he wasn't that great. Like good on him. I like him and all. Yeah. He seems like a swell enough guy, but like he really was not the best part of those movies. No, not at all. I don't know, man. It, whatever. Not to, I don't want to be negative or anything. Going, I'm great to have him back and all, but it's just it is weird how that that pendulum has swung all the way back, and oh, it's yeah. so observable over like the time, right? Of like initially, you know, everyone liked Star Wars, and then they hated Empire and Jedi because it was like Empire was like, why is this dumb twist? And they're why they're teddy bears. But then obviously, when the prequels came out, it was like, ah, these these cinematic masterworks, the original trilogy. Yeah. These prequels suck, though. Who made these? George Lucas has lost it. He needs to kill himself. And then George Lucas is like, all right, yes. I don't want to make these movies anymore. You guys are really, really mean. And then he doesn't. And now they're all like, George Lucas knew what he was doing. Why don't we get him back? Why can't he make sequels? Bring him back George in here. Like, I didn't want to because you guys were bullies. You know, you see how you guys are bullying really mean to me. everyone else right now and using me to do it? That's what I didn't enjoy. So, goodbye. <laughs> goodbye now forever. Now they maybe bullied away Ryan Johnson, which will be an absolute tragedy, I think. Well, that movie isn't good, so it doesn't Shut really up. matter. You know it's good. You like it more than most people. Don't give me that. You just did this. Uh, I don't know what you up. mean. I don't know what that you is mean. A fine film. He also is really good at making other movies. So why are people like, oh, he's not going to make a good movie? Shut up. It'll be good. Here's the <laughs> thing. Here's the thing. Even if you didn't like The Last Jedi because of like some of the decisions he made with the legacy characters. If they actually just let him do that trilogy of his, that's just a totally unique own like new thing. There won't be any legacy characters to worry about. And then yeah. he can just do his thing of making good movies, which he's good at. 
You seen Knives yeah. Out, Jack? I know you like Knives Out. I do like Knives Out a lot. Don't fuck with me here, Jack. All right. He's a good man, Ryan Johnson. He likes the Dodgers. He knows what's up. He's got a good head on his shoulders, Jack. <laughs> All right. Take us out. All right. So we're going to wrap it up here. As always, thank you so much for listening to the show. As always, if you want to tweet at us, you can tweet at us at Akatech Jazz. And you can email us on Gmail at Jazz at gmail.com. Email us with your questions, comments, concerns, suggestions, or just you know general thoughts on the show. Uh, we'll be happy to get enough people. We'll, maybe we'll read them on air. And if you email us, I'll say it. If you don't want us to say your name, say that. Or actually, if you do want us to say your name, say you can say my name in any, any amount. First name, last name, a name you made up, anything like that. Or if you don't, we won't say it. So just you know, make everyone comfortable. Uh, as always, you can listen to our show at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon slash Audible, and Podbean. And as always, our logo was done by a friend of the show, uh, Jeffrey Gonzalez. You can find him at English.jpg and at Redbubble to buy his work. All right. So say goodnight to the people, Zach. Good night. Good night. Godspeed.